Uh, to those of you who have family members and friends who, or you yourselves, listen to the podcast, to those tuning in right now, um, we have not had a podcast for like three, four weeks. So we've been having technical issues going on. I think we got it figured out. If you're listening to this online, we're good. So our sincerest apologies. I think we finally figured out. We found the culprit. And we're good to go. Um, this morning is a... a going to be a, a hard-hitting message, just so you know. Disclaimer. Uh, it's going to be a challenging message. If you're a guest, you picked a heck of a Sunday to come visit. So, welcome. <laughs> we've been doing a series called uh, Practical Atheist. And in it, we've been talking about the fact that, you know, statistically, the vast majority of Americans will tell you, I believe in God. But when you look at their life, uh, many, although they'll claim to be Christian, say they believe in God, uh, they live like he doesn't exist. And so we've been exploring uh, various ways in which uh, that fleshes itself out in the lives of people like us. Uh, Some of you are probably already cringing, um, because this is just one of those subjects that uh, we don't talk about a whole lot. And and I think I understand at least part of the reason why is uh, we live in a kind of a, this generation, all of us who are in this room who are alive right now, we've lived during a time... um, probably not really unlike a lot of times in the sense that we've had a lot of loser leaders within Christendom um, that have done very stupid things uh, with money. Uh, and it's been very public, right? And because we live in the information age, every single time that some guy uh, gets caught with his hand in the offering plate, and I'm not talking about one time, I'm talking about for years, taking advantage of vulnerable people uh, who have nowhere else to turn, right? Big heads on a TV screen and the like. Uh, every time it happens... These guys with shiny hair and shinier airplanes. We see it, right? We, it's, on, it's on our fingertips, on our smartphones. We see it. Uh, it's all over CNN, right? Different news organizations are, are blogging about it, tweeting about it. People are emailing us about it. Uh, so every time that a Christian leader gets up and speaks with any amount of conviction about money, I feel a little uneasy, right? But I'm going to warn you this morning, I'm going to talk about conviction. I'm going to talk about money. And here's why. All right, money is a very spiritual issue. And one of the reasons that we chose to do this series now, one of the reasons I really wanted to do it, honestly, is so we could have this conversation. Because what I'm afraid of is because we are so iffy and, and not really liking to talk about this, this issue a whole lot and to go there, I think for a lot of us, we don't really have a biblical understanding of what God asks of us financially. You know, it's one of those issues we just don't talk about for a number of different reasons. I think for us guys, I was hanging out last night with some friends, and we were talking about this. I think guys are more likely to talk about their porn addiction to complete strangers than they are to talk about how much they actually give uh, to God's work, right, with their best friends. So it's not something that we talk about. In churches, it's not something we talk about because it offends people, right? And and what I'm afraid has happened is very subtly, uh, for a lot of us, money has become... For us, I think, the most pressing spiritual issue in our lives. Because it's the area where I think a lot of us are the least faithful. Right? Where we don't honor God. Where we don't exercise faith. Um, that we don't really go after. So this morning, we're going to go after it. And it's important, and I want to show you why. All right? So, uh, do you know, by the way, 10% of the book of Proverbs talks specifically to money. Right? It talks about how to be wise with your money, how to be generous, uh, how to invest wisely, how to live in a way that honors God with your finances. Roughly 25% of what Jesus teaches is in regards to money. One in every four things that he's talking about is about money. So it's a huge, huge issue. Right? And if you look at your life, just ask yourself, uh, could you say, as you reflect on your spiritual journey up until today, that 25% of your time and your energy and your focus was on trying to honor God financially? 
That 25% of your, your passion and your striving to honor God was, how can I give more to what God is doing? How can I honor God financially? How can I rearrange my life in a way to be more involved with what God is doing? Would that, would that even be 10%? Right? Or for many of us, is it just one of those issues that we don't really, it's not really on our radar, right? People don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. It's not something we really think about, search the scriptures about, pray about. Um, I would venture to guess uh, for many of us, that's probably where we're at. That's where a lot of us seem to be. And it seems to be a conversation that is happening more and more in this community where people are asking, what does God call me to? What does God ask of us? How am I to live? And so that's what we want to look at this morning. It's so important, and I want to show you why. All right, so if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew 19. Um, if you have your smartphone, Matthew 19. One of these days, we will create another version event. We've been totally dropping the ball on that. But if you do have version on your phone, Matthew 19 is where we're going. And in Matthew 19, Jesus is approached... Uh, by a young, very intelligent, sharp young leader. This guy has a lot of potential, all right? He's very intelligent. Uh, he's in leadership. Um, he's on the upswing. And he comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, Jesus, what do I need to experience eternal life? Right, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus answers him in a very direct way, very direct way, very blunt way. And this is the only time that Jesus says this. All right, but here's, here's what he says to this rich young ruler. Verse 21. He says, Go and sell everything you have. Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. All right, then come follow me. All right now, why did Jesus say that to this particular guy? All right, chances are this was an area in his life where he was a practical atheist. All right, this is an area in his life uh, that was more important to him, to his faith, to his commitment to God. He put his trust in wealth, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 look, this is more important to you than I am, than God is, and so you're going to have to choose, right? Jesus says you can't choose God and money. You're going to choose one or the other. Either you're going to serve God and worship him with your money, or you're going to end up worshiping money as your God. So you need to choose. And here's his response in verse 22. He says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Went away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't accept it. Couldn't do that. All right, ask anything of me, Jesus, but don't do that. And I think oftentimes we read this and we think, man, I know I do. I read this and I think, how could he do that? I would never do that. He is looking the Son of God face to face. This guy who's clearly more than a man obviously comes to him and asks him, Jesus, what do I need to experience eternal life? What do I need to do to go to heaven? And he walks away. He says, nope, I can't do that. But I think for many of us, although we might be like, I'd never do that. I think many of us, we do this every single day. For most of us, many of us, we do this every single day in our lives. Did you know that most of the people in this room, many of us, will spend more on coffee this year than we will giving to kingdom initiatives, giving to what God's doing? Statistically, more will we'll do that. Right, the average American loses roughly about 100 bucks worth of spare change every year. 100 bucks. And that's more than one in four of us will give to the church this year. Right, that's tragic. Right, that's hard. Do you know that uh, the average American spends six hours per week shopping? Right, it could be groceries, clothes, online, you name it. But six hours a week shopping, but just 40 minutes a week playing with their kids? Why? That hurts. Why? Because this consumes us. It is a huge, huge issue uh, for many of us. I mean, what do you think about this? When you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? 
right? What, what, is, what is pressing on your heart? Is it, how can I be more generous? How can I give more to where there is need? How can I join God in what he's doing? How, how can I be more of a kingdom player? Or is it, how am I going to pay the bills? Right? Or how am I going to get this thing that I, I'm saving up for that I want to get? Right? How am I going to uh, pay for my kids' education? Right? I think this is a huge issue. And Jesus says, which ones are going to be? You can't serve God and money. You're going to serve one or the other. Which one is it going to be? And the rich guy says, I'm sorry. I want Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I can't do that. It's not worth it to me. So Jesus continues the conversation. And it's a very painful one. Very candid one. And here's what he says in verse 23. He says, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Whew, those are harsh words. He says, listen, guys, it's really hard for rich folks to get saved. That's us, guys. That's us. I think oftentimes we read this and we think about all the people around us who have more than we have. Right? They have the car that we want. For me, it's the guy who has the old beat-up Jeep Wrangler that's all jacked up. I'm like, I want that. But I don't have that. You know, so... And I'm not really working too hard to get it, so I'm, I'm living comfortably, right? Or I look at my house, and, I'm, and we have a small two-bedroom house, and I think, you know, well, our house is smaller than most, so we're living simply, right? We're not, we're not getting the bigger house, at least not yet anyway, you know? And we think it's not us, but this isn't Steve Jobs, Warren Buffett, and everybody with a house on Capitol Beach, right? This is us, right? I think we've got to deal with the fact, right? We've got to deal with the facts of globally what the reality is for many of us, and the reality is that we are very, very wealthy, you know, 900 million people, I'm going to throw some more stats at you. 900 million people do not have access to clean water right now on earth. 900 million. 80% of sicknesses and disease is a result of that. 900 million. Not an issue for us. Huge issue for the developing world. 60% of people live on less than $2 a day. All right, that's about what I spent on my coffee this morning. I have to deal with that. 60%, less than $2 a day. You got a vehicle? Did you drive here this morning? If you drove, if you have a vehicle, let alone multiple vehicles, uh, you're in the richest top 3% of the world, the richest 3%. Right? We have to do with the fact that there are millions upon millions of people on this, on this earth that if they looked at our lifestyle, they would say, you have a toilet that flushes? Really? What is that like? You have air conditioning and heat and running water in your home? You own a car? What is it like to be rich? We're rich. We're filthy, stinking rich. And we have to deal with that. Jesus is talking about us. And here's why it is so incredibly important. Right? Jesus is saying that you and I, because of our wealth, are at a huge disadvantage spiritually. Huge disadvantage. Jesus is saying our wealth, for many of us, will be our downfall. It will be the thing that keeps us from God because it's the last thing that we're willing to give up. It is going to be the area. He's saying, like, unless you go after your money, and not just your money, but your resources, like your possessions, everything, unless you go after honoring God with fervor and intentionality, it won't happen. For most people, it never does. People like you and me. It is so hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Many of us believe in God, but when it comes down to it, we trust in money. Right? And it's easy for us to say we believe in God, we trust in God, when financially we're okay. Right, as long as uh, we know the bills are going to be paid, probably most of us in this room, right, as long as we've got food in the refrigerator, it's really easy to say that we trust in God. Right, but the moment things get shaky, 
right? The moment we lose a job, right? The moment Washington pisses around while the debt date comes sooner and sooner and there's no forward motion, right? The moment the stocks start to drop, as they are right now. The moment that our financial future is starting to look a little shaky, what happens? We get very, very anxious, right? A lot of anxiety. We get very unsettled. Why? Because you're messing with my money, right? You're messing with my lifestyle, right? You're messing, you're jacking around with what I really, really trust in, right? So this is heavy. This is huge. This is a big, big issue for us. Jesus says there may not be a more, more important issue that we need to deal with in our lives personally. All right, so let's do this. Here's the thing. Here's the most important truth I want you to get this morning. If you don't remember anything else, this is the one thing that if we can wrap our mind and our heart around, it will change everything for us. All right, and it's this. None of this is ours. Right? All of it belongs to God. None of it's ours. Our homes, our money, our possessions, our talents, everything belongs to God. Exodus 19.5 says this. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you really fast. So buckle up. Exodus 19.5, the whole earth is mine, God says. That's not in a general sense, right? That means everything, right? Your car, your shoes, your pants, right? Your job, everything belongs to me. Job 41.11, God says, who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole earth is mine. Psalm 50.10, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah, no, but God, this is my hill. Like, no, 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 no. That's not your hill, right? That's God's hill, right? That's God's Volvo. That's God's Honda, right? That's God's television. Those are God's shoes. Everything belongs to God. You and I are just cattle on a thousand hills, right? We're just cattle on a hill. We belong to God, everything that we have. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Everything. That money in your pocket, it's not yours. It's God's and it's God's pocket. Right? Everything belongs to God. Deuteronomy 8.17 says this. It says, Beware. Beware lest you say in your heart that by my power and the might of my hand I have gotten this wealth. Right? I think the temptation is... Right? The fact is, we all work hard. Right? If you have a job, I'm going to venture to guess that you work hard. If you have a career, you've probably invested a lot to get to where you're at. And so the temptation is to say, You know what? I put in my time. I'm the one that took out student loans. I'm the one that's, you know, put in the time for the internship. I'm the one paying those back. I work hard, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, whatever it is. I work hard. I'm going to play hard. It's mine. Right? But verse 18 says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Right? The power to get wealth. So it's not just that your job is his. Right? The fact that you have money, yeah, that's from God. The fact that you have a job, that's, that's from God. Right, the fact that you have a mind that enables you to do the work that you do, that's a gift from God. Right, the fact that you have hands that allow you to do what you do, right, that is, that's a gift from God. Your skill, your talent, your personality, your opportunities, everything. You and I are just managers. Right? We are just managers of what God has given us. None of it is ours. So we've got to wrap our minds around this. God has given us everything, and here's the thing. He's done it for two very simple reasons that I want to look at. Two very simple reasons that God gives you, you and I, uh, what we have. Ecclesiastes 5 says this. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. So God has given us our wealth for very 
two very simple, very profound reasons. And the first is to enjoy it. To enjoy it. I grew up, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where we really didn't have um, a lot of money. Uh, my dad was in um, ministry. He did youth ministry for like 26, 27 years, uh, getting paid peanuts. You know, just didn't get paid hardly anything. And we had four kids. And so we never had extra money. And I remember in eighth grade, we moved to central Minnesota uh, to this resort community. It's like very affluent, very white, uh, very wealthy. I was one of my only friends who didn't live on a lake and have a boat and jet skis and the whole deal. Um, and I remember moving there, and we didn't have money to buy new clothes. And so I remember being taken shopping by my parents, by my mom, and um, I got to pick out one pair of jeans, right? one pair of, of new jeans. And so I got, like, the coolest boss jeans, you know, that you can imagine. I don't know if you remember boss, but it had, like, huge boss up the butt. It was cool. Trust me. Um, but that was, that was the only pair that I owned. And I don't know if you remember how brutal eighth grade is, but, like, you just you want to fit in and be cool, like, so badly, or at least I did, and uh, especially when you're the new kid and you're at a new school. And I got just made fun of relentlessly because I owned one pair of jeans, and I wore them almost every single day. And so growing up, like, I came to equate wrongfully uh, holiness with not having anything, right? Because we never did. Like, we didn't take the expensive vacations, and we didn't have all the video games, and we, we didn't have a lot of things. And so for me, I wrongfully associated being poor and not having extra money and not being able to enjoy anything with being spiritual, right? But it's not biblical. Biblically, uh, that's not how it is at all. One of the reasons that God gives us money and gives us wealth is to enjoy it. Is it a sin, right, to, to enjoy what God has given you, to do something that you enjoy, to enjoy the work of your hands? No, it's not. It's not at all. Personally, I sleep on a very nice mattress now. My wife made me buy it because she was having back problems. I was like, we cannot spend this amount of money on a mattress. But I'll tell you, it's heaven. Every time I lay down on the mattress, I think God is so good. And so th- I'm worshiping right now. You know, I'm going to engage in some nocturnal prayer. Right? I'm glad that we have that mattress. I love that mattress. Honestly, I do. I love that we have air conditioning, right? And that I have shoes that fit, right? It's not a sin to enjoy uh, what God's given you. It's, it's one of the reasons that God gives it to you. Pleasure, some people would say that pleasure is sin, and it's not. Pleasure is not sin. Pleasure is neutral, right? It depends what motivates pleasure, what you're doing with pleasure. Enjoying what God's given you uh, is not a sin. The psalmist says this. The psalmist says that pleasures come from the right hand of God. Right? That's why uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9 uh, to the men, he says this. He says, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with gladness. Work your job. Love your wife. Right? This is a good life. It's awesome. Right? It's not a sin to enjoy what God's given you. And actually, actually, when you do it, right, and you acknowledge that, you know what, this isn't from me. This is from God. It actually becomes an act of worship. Right? If we had you over to my house, my wife is an amazing cook. Right? If we had you over in my house and she cooked you up her homemade guacamole, her homemade salsa, put it on her homemade enchiladas, which are phenomenal, uh, and you refused that, refused to eat, would she be offended? Absolutely. Would I need to punch you in the throat? Maybe. <laughs> right? Because she created it for you to enjoy. Right? And you're, I mean, it's the same way with God. He's created things for you. He's given you things to enjoy. When you do it, it's an act of worship. 
All right, so two reasons, right? First one is to enjoy it. God gives you what you have to enjoy it. The second one, he also gives it to you to give away, right? To be generous and to share it, to put it in the hands of other people. First Chronicles 29, 14 says this. It says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So you and I, we need to figure out, we need to realize that we're not givers, right? We're receivers. Everything that we have comes from God. We're not givers, we're receivers. If you come over to my house and I have $50,000 cash and I give you $45,000 cash, are you happy about that? Do you feel like I've robbed you of $5,000? No. Why? Because it's a matter of possession, right? It's mine. You didn't do anything to deserve it. We're probably very good friends by this point. I just gave you $45,000, right? It's mine. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift, right? But if I come over to your house and you have $50,000 and I take $5,000 for myself, do you feel robbed? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because it's yours, right? And I just took it from you. It's a matter of possession. When we come to wrap our mind and our heart around the fact that we are receivers, that everything is from God, then the issue is no longer how much is God going to take from me. The issue is how much is God going to give me. Huge difference. Completely different frame of mind. So, who do we give to, right? Who does God call us to give to? Um, Those in need? Sure. The poor? Yes. People who have been through traumatic injury? Sure. Right? The, uh, The orphan and the widow? Absolutely. Right? Christians in other nations who are being persecuted? Sure. To the work of the local church so people can come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Absolutely. All right, all of it's given from God. All of it. Some of it's for us to enjoy. Some of it's for us to give. And Jesus says this. Right? He ups the stakes and he says, He who is faithful with a little will be given more. Right? But he who is not faithful with a little, all, everything that he has, what he has, will be taken from him. He who is faithful with a little will be given more. It always starts with little. God doesn't call us to be faithful with what we don't have. Right? God calls us to be faithful with what he's already given us. So, the big question, right? The question that I get probably more, most often is, so how much do I have to give then, right? How much does God ask? Is it 10%? Is that it? I've heard pastors talk about that. I've heard churches talk about that. Is that what God asks us to do? Is that biblically what it is? Um, where that comes from is Old Testament, right? Uh, Old Testament tithe. Uh, there was a 10% mandatory tithe, right, that God laid out for his people. And that, that was paid specifically to the temple and the Levite priesthood. So that paid for ministry, that paid for salaries. That was just that was 10% just for that. All right? But the whole tithe was way more than that. It was about three times that. All right? So there was 10% for that, but then there was another 10% that specifically went to, uh, like, the festivals and celebrations throughout the year. Can you imagine the kind of parties we could throw if we all pitched in 10% of our income? All right? Those are huge parties. Right? And that was uh, part of what God laid out for his people. 10% went specifically to the festivals, the celebrations. And you see, because worship is tied to celebration. And in the book of, uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, the kingdom of God includes, includes feasting and celebration and music. And then all the people from all the nations of the earth who love and adore God uh, come together right, to celebrate. Huge celebration. Apparently, you can't do that with Cheez-Its and little juice boxes. Right? You throw a big party for a big God. So 10% was for that. But there's more, right? There was another, uh, then every third year you gave 10%, and that specifically went to taking care of the poor, 
right? So that's like another 3.3%. So every third year, 10% of that specifically goes to taking care of the poor. Um, in addition, there were gleanings uh, for the poor uh, and for the alien. Um, there were specific tithes and offerings as additional needs came up. So if you add that right there, that's about 25% of your income. Um, then on top of that, there were also... Uh, there are also specific sacrifices and gifts that you're expected to give. Some of those as specific needs um, came up. So by the time it all got added up, depending on the year, your, your mandatory tithe was anywhere from 27 to 30%. It's a lot of money. And then you would pay your taxes, and then you would live on whatever's left. Right? We're a little backwards the way we usually do it. Like we, We're taxed by the government right off the top. You don't have a choice in that one. Um, and then for most of us, right, what we do is we pay everything else that we need to, our mortgage, our car payment, go out to eat, do all the stuff we want, and then at the end of the month, if there's anything left, then we'll give. And if there's not, what do we usually cut first? It's usually our tithe, right? Totally backwards, totally backwards. So am I supposed to tithe 10% or 30%, right? Is that what God calls us to? Uh, no, no, not exactly. Good news, No. Um, and, you know, in the Old Testament, if you didn't tithe, there wasn't, like, a governing body that monitored that, right? There was no, like, council that you had to go before. They wouldn't cut off your arm, you know. There, there, was, you, there wasn't a prison for people who didn't tithe. Um, that really was outside of man's hands, right? And so do you have to tithe? No. But are there spiritual consequences if you don't? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. And those are in God's hands. Right? If we don't honor God financially, right, the scriptures are pretty clear uh, that there is a cause and effect. Right? Those who are entrusted with the little, faithful with the little, will be given more. Those who are not, what they have will be taken away from them. Those who reap generously or sow generously will reap generously. Right? Those who sow stingily, I don't think that's what the Bible says, it's a different word, will also sow stingily. All right? It's a very biblical uh, concept. That is everywhere, right? But that's in God's hands. Jesus says those who are faithful to little will be given more. You know, for Megan and I, when we got married, uh, thankfully, thankful to uh, mentors that were wonderful, um, we created some really good habits early on as far as spending's concerned. And uh, we were counseled, part of it is because I didn't make jack squat. You know, I made like a whopping $6,000 the first year we were married. Awesome provider of the home. Um, $6,000. So what we did is we were counseled to create a budget, like very minimal budget, and we just did cash in envelopes. And so we had an envelope for eating out, envelope for groceries, an envelope for electricity, an envelope for travel, you know, like something fun, um, envelope for tithe. And so we would like fill those with, when we got paid, we'd go cash the check, put cash in the envelopes. And when we went out to eat, we'd take money out of the going out to eat envelope, uh, and then we put the change back in there. When the money was gone, we stopped spending. Right? And then we just kept doing that. And next time we got paid, we'd refill the envelopes. And it was really great for us. And so what it did for us is it created some really cool patterns um, where we just got used to living on what we had. Right? We weren't, everything that was in our apartment, either we got for our wedding or uh, was handed down to us. And we just, we didn't replace that stuff. Like we hardly ever bought new clothes. We weren't swapping out vehicles. Um, we just created this, this habit of, Spending what we had, not spending more than we have, right? Because a lot of us, what we do <laughs> is we spend money we don't have to get things we don't need to impress people we don't like, right? I mean, if we're really honest. Uh, but for us, we just, 
early on, we just worked at, at being faithful. And what happened is after a while, we really didn't have to budget because we weren't really spending anything. And, um, but what's happened is since we planted this church, uh, we can't do that anymore. Um, and part of it is because we don't have the margin that we once had. So we're having to revisit what it looks for us, uh, for us to honor God financially. Um, to be really candid, so to be really candid with you, one of the, the decisions that we made really early on um, was that we wanted Megan to be able to be home with the girls and that we were going to make sacrifices and just make that happen and live however we need to live so she could be there. Like we, that just for us, we didn't want to do the daycare thing. We wanted her to be home. Um, so we knew that things would be kind of tight. Um, when we launched this church, um, up until a couple months ago, right, I was making $26,000 a year, uh, which for a family of four obviously is not a whole lot of money. Um, and actually, but it's my fault. Uh, believe it or not, that's my fault. That's what I proposed to the leadership team when we were starting because um, I knew we could get by on it, and so it's totally my fault. But, but um, you know, we wanted, I wanted to keep things bare-boned while we built this thing, right? You can always add things to the budget if you need to, right? But if you budget for more money than actually God provides, you get in trouble really fast. Um, so I wanted to just keep it as bare-bones as possible, be faithful with a little, and just trust that God's going to blow it up. But what has made, what's happened with us, though, is now we're having to revisit a lot of different lifestyle issues for us um, because we don't have the margin that we once had. So now what, what ended up happening, really honestly, is we, we started cutting tithing, right? Like all of a sudden we didn't have hardly any margin. Um, we couldn't do a lot of the things that we've been doing. And so we're having to revisit for us what tithing, what honoring God financially looks like. So practically for us, uh, that means that we're having to kind of go without a number of things that we've just gotten used to having over the years uh, at different times. So for us, that means right, no cable TV. Um, it means I'm not really golfing anymore. It's kind of a bummer, but you know, not necessity, necessity for us right now. Um, and then most recently, one of the things we did is we went back to one car. And so we sold our second vehicle, and, and we tithed off of that, um, you know, paid off some debt, put some in savings. And... Uh, the thing for us, though, it, and we, we bought a bicycle, by the way. So I'm biking to all my meetings and stuff like that. Uh, which, by the way, is super inconvenient. Right? Super inconvenient. Like, I'm a sweaty mess sometimes when I show up for meetings. I've got to get there early and change shirts. and Totally inconvenient. But is it, is it worth it for us? Absolutely. Right? And it's not that we couldn't afford to make payments. Right? We weren't falling behind financially. Um, but we couldn't afford to do everything, upkeep, gas, payments, and honor God financially. So for us, that's what we're doing right now, right? Reorienting our lives so we can be faithful with a little, right? We could keep the vehicle, shortcut God, keep the vehicle in the meantime, but in the long run, right, we're going to pay for it. And we believe that God's going to honor that and being faithful with a little. Does that mean you need to sell one of your cars? No. Maybe, but no, probably not. You know, that's just for us right now what it means for us to honor God financially, right? To change our lifestyle in such a way to serve him and to honor him. So, back to our original question, right? How much do I have to give? Is it a biblical law? Is it 5%, 10%, 20%, 25%? You figure it out. You figure it out. The truth is, when it comes down to it, biblically, worship is proportionate to sacrifice, Worship is proportionate to sacrifice. The truth is, there's people in this room that 10% is not realistic, right? When we're, t- I mean, we're talking about people who are elderly, living on fixed income, people who have ongoing health issues, have been in the hospital in and out, 
single mom whose husband ran out on his responsibility to take care of his family. Stuff like this for you, if that's you, right? Tithing for you probably looks a lot less than 10%, right? You know. And is it still worshipful? Absolutely. Right? When we sacrifice and actually give out of what we have, even if it's a small amount, right? It's like the widow's mite, right? The gal who dropped a single coin and Jesus said she gave more. Like her gift is acceptable to God, right? In God's hand, us being faithful with what we have, it's fish and loaves, right? Fish and loaves in the hands of a holy God. He will multiply that. He will take care of that, right? But can you tithe 10% and still be sinning? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's probably people in this room that, you know, you can give way more than 10%, right? If you were smart with your money, switch, switch some things around, um, there's a number of us that can live on less than 90% of our income. So for you, sacrifice is going to look very different, right? And so I'm not going to be the legalist and step up here and say, you have to give 10%. Because the truth is, sacrifice is going to look very different for every single one of us. We have to come before God. Paul says that our tithes ought to be regular, right? They ought to be faithful and regular. We ought to do it cheerfully. We ought to do it sacrificially. And so for whatever that is for you, right, you need to work that out with God, ultimately. So here's what I want to do. I want to end by sharing with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture when it comes to what God calls us to financially, right? The good and the bad. And then we'll wrap up. So Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Love this passage of Scripture. All right, listen to this. It says this. It says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, God says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Then God says this. He says, test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I love that. All right, elsewhere in the scriptures it says, do not test the Lord your God. But in this one area, God says, I dare you. Test me in this. Test me. Bring the tithe in and see if I don't blow it up. See if I don't change lives. See if I don't change your faith. See if I don't multiply it. It's huge, right? See if, see if I don't own the cattle on a thousand hills, right? And if I won't slaughter one and bring dinner to your place. Test me in this. I love that. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. Right? I want to challenge you. I want to dare you. I dare you to take God up on his challenge. I dare you. I dare you to commit a, a period of time, something that is going to be a stretch for you. It might be six months. It might be 12 months. I don't know. Right? It's between you and God. Commit a period of time and give to God in a way that you've never done before. Right? Something that you can give regularly, something that you can do cheerfully, and something that will involve sacrifice. And see, if God, see what God does. See if God doesn't radically alter your faith. See if God doesn't blow it up and multiply it. Right, the reason I can teach with conviction on this issue is because I've seen God multiply it. Right, we don't, we, like I said, like, we don't always, like we're, we're kind of rustling through faithfulness and having to redefine that for us. Right, so there's been seasons where it's been much harder for us to be regular right, and, and to give um, just faithfully all the time. Hopefully, right, we're there now, but I've seen what God does when we do. So I dare you. So here's the thing. Do you have to give to Mosaic? Nope. Tithe doesn't have to go to Mosaic. 
If you're a part of this community, right, you believe in it and you want to give, awesome. Right? Should a portion of your tithe go to wherever your home church is, wherever your faith community is? I believe so. Right? I see that in the Old Testament. But does it all have to go here? Absolutely not. Right? There are great organizations that serve our city, that serve needs. Uh, can you give your tithe there? Absolutely. Right? Do. The point is not where it goes. It's not that this is right and this is wrong and this is right and this is wrong. The point isn't where you give it. The point is that you give it right, to what God is doing here and now. So that's it. I dare you. And see what happens. See what happens. If you do want to give, you know what? Let's do this. Might as well do offering because I'm talking about money, right? So we'll do offering. That's one of the ways you can give to, to Mosaic if you want to, right? Another way to do it is through automatic withdrawal. Um, we have auto debit forms. We can get those in your hands. Um, we've got, if you'd rather write a check, some people take a lot of joy in writing the check every month, right? A lot of people... Uh, that's what they want to do. That's really cool. Just so you know, we have envelopes back there that are already pre-addressed uh, to Mosaic. Just take as many as you want. Um, you can give online. Right? Again, the point isn't where it goes. The point is that you give it and faithfully. And here's what I want to challenge you to do too as well. As you do this, right, God calls us to, to give our first fruits. Right? So the Old Testament tithe was not something where we came to the end of the month, we paid our mortgage, we paid our car payment, we went out to eat more, probably more than we needed to, we went out to the movies, did all the stuff we want to do, and then if there's anything left over, we gave it to God. Right? In the Old Testament, you gave your first fruits. You gave the best of your cattle, you gave the best of your grain, you gave, that was the first check you wrote, right? and then you did everything else. As you and your spouse or as you and an individual pray about this and what God would have you give, wherever that's going, whatever that looks like for you, commit to do it on the first. Make that the first check that you write every time because I'm telling you, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. Right? But those who are faithful with the little will be given more. And that's my prayer for you, that God will blow it up and it will rock your freaking mind with how faithful he is. All right? Let's pray. Lord God, it's a hard message. I know it's a challenging message, and this is a personal message for every one of us because we all have money. We all have money. But Father God, I ask that you soften our hearts, my, my heart included, that you would challenge us in this area. God, that we would respond with faith, uh, perhaps in ways that we have never done before. And God, I'm taking you up on your promise and trusting that you're going to continue to prove yourself faithful, that you're going to multiply it, that you're going to use it to change lives, including my own. And that's my prayer for everybody in this community, that we would be a community of such radical generosity. And that, God, that you would prove yourself faithful and show up in such amazing ways as we are faithful with the little. That as we prove ourselves trustworthy, as you try us, as you test us, as we prove ourselves trustworthy, God, that we would be given more so that we can enjoy and give away even more. Father God, we love you. We worship you. And as we come before you now, God, we ask that our our gifts would be acceptable to you, that they would be a sweet fragrance unto you, God. We love you, and we thank you for your provision in our lives, God. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.